My safe word will be whiskey. Sorry, Rod, what was that? Whiskey. It's uh, Steve and Sean from the Park Whiskey Podcast, and today we have a guest with us, uh, Mr. Dave Gardner from Yukon Brewers and Two Brewers from the from up north, from the Great White North. Dave is a local a local beer and whiskey peddler, and kind of a darling of the community. So <laughs> if you if you drink either beer or whiskey, you know Dave, that's for sure. So let's. Uh, Let's get going. Welcome to the Park Whiskey Podcast. Let's hit it off, Sean. How's it going today? Good. I'm feeling better than I was last time. Probably <laughs> voice sounds a little different. I had a little bit of a cold last time, but uh oh, feel, you're feel cold. Yeah, and I was I was, I was one was foot fine. from him. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. This is exciting. I uh, it's it's fun to talk about stuff you actually know something about. So, so I'm looking forward to the show today. Yeah, no, we're looking forward to have you. Honestly, Dave, you are very, you're our very first guest on oh, on man. this podcast show. So that's still the, so the pressure's on, my friend. <laughs> well, the pressure the pressure's actually off. I don't have to be very good because nobody else has done it. <laughs> that, so the, that's true. The next guy, the next guy has to be better than I am. Yeah, so you can either set the bar high or set the bar low. You can do whatever you want with that. We're going, we're going high. <laughs> so basically, I just wanted you to get started telling us your story. How, what, uh, what brought you into this industry? I, I know you kind of started in the beer world, but uh, let's. Uh, I'll give you the floor. How far back do you want to go? Go as far back as you want. We got, we got an so hour. <laughs> Seventy-five. When I was in high school, supposed to be studying, I was always looking at breweries, and uh, started sending letters to the breweries. They sent me labels and that kind of stuff. And I collect beer stuff, so I'm, I'm a beer historian, and I've been collecting beer stuff since the early seventies. Cool. Um, one thing led to another. I met a guy down in Montana, and he's got a beer museum, and we've been friends since 1980. We started printing signs for small breweries, and I sent the Yukon guys a sample of something we printed. I don't know if you can see this very well. Yeah, that's this is the first, first sign I ever printed for the uh, for the Yukon Brewing Company. And I can't tell you how long ago that was. <laughs> but I've done I've done stuff for Alley Cat. I've done stuff for uh, Phillips. I've done stuff for Blind Man. And yeah, it's it was kind of a fun hobby. If you come to my house, signs are hanging everywhere. So you de- you design signs for for these companies? Well, hell no, I'm a salesman. I just First, have okay. big ideas. Ah, yeah. okay, okay, okay. So you <laughs> worked for a, Blind Man? No, no, I've done or work for Blind contract Man. for Blind Man. Okay. Yeah, I've I've done a bunch of signs for them. I've oh. done signs for, like I said, Alley Cat. We, we've got a uh, a whiskey aging in a um, Heaven Hill Rye Barrel down in Blind Man right now. It's it's mm-hmm. their uh, what's their porter called? I have no uh, idea. It's uh, Trip Hammer. Trip Hammer. Yeah, yeah, it's a Trip Hammer sitting in it. So it's been in there for about four four months now. I I, I really enjoy the guys at uh, at Blind Man. Well, Shane, the president of uh, Blind Man, just happens to be the president of the Alberta uh, the Edmonton Beer Geeks, which oh, I'm on okay. the board. Okay, okay. So we've been, we've been friends since I met him. He was in, he was doing research at the U of A. Oh, interesting. Nanotech, nanotechnology in electrical something or other. And that's about as all, as much as I can remember. <laughs> all right, so yeah. yeah, what, one day I, I sent samples to the brewery and they looked at it and they started buying signs. And, uh, they, I started doing some part-time sales for them. Eventually, the boss says, why don't you come to work for me? And I, I used to, my regular job for like 30-some years was training people how to do gymnasium floors. Oh, really? Yeah. And this is way more fun. <laughs> I bet it is, yeah. Well, as I get older, I used to be able to do a lot of gym floors day after day after day. So, like the installation of the hardwood and... No. Or the no, finish? The, re- the resurfacing of it. The re- okay, okay. Yeah, I didn't... Uh, Sherwood Park uh, Strathcona Christian Academy has my coding on it. I don't do that anymore, mm-hmm. but but they do King's University. There's a there's a bunch of places. Crazy. And eventually, I started. Uh, I got into sales with uh, with Yukon. How so? How long has Yukon been in business for? 
23 years. And I've been hanging around for 21, and we can't remember exactly how long, but at least 21. So My hair was dark when we started, when I started. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see you with dark hair. You'd probably look weird, though. <laughs> I look really good. I look like shit now. But. We should we should just for a minute, just so we can take you back to the eighties. Next uh, next time we can do a festival tasting, we'll dye your hair. We're gonna, yeah. Oh yeah. god! Well, I'm glad COVID. Well, you know, I'm not glad COVID came, but it's been interesting because I got to cut my own hair now. Yeah, it looks and, good. Uh, I just I just put my hands up, and anything that sticks over the fingers comes off. And I'm it, pretty sure that's all they do at the barber shop, anyways. Yeah, my hair's kind of a mess, so it does nobody really notices because it looks different every day. <laughs> yeah, we. I, was look, I just wear a hat. I was, <laughs> I was looking at my passport and I think, oh man, I got a mini afro. I I look like hell, so I got rid of it. <laughs> hey, to have to have as much hair as you do at at your age is is a is a blessing on its own because I don't know that I'm going to be the same. So <laughs> have a look at my wedding pictures and. Everybody says, hey, did you get an afro? I said, no, that's natural. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to have to send us one of those one day? No, I don't want that circulating. No, you don't. We can, that could no. be the, I could put that on the picture of the, the published podcast post. So that's everyone knows. an after picture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. So the, so cucumbers were brewing beer for what, almost 20 years before they got into into the whiskey? When did they start making no, whiskey? So 90, 97, we started uh, making beer, February of 97. Okay, okay. Uh, and I'm going to say April of 2009 because we put the still together on the Easter long weekend in 2009, and that's when we started the still. So you actually got to go up there and actually help with? No, they don't let me touch anything. No. <laughs> like I told you, I'm in sales. Sales, I'm, sales yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was told my kids, if you don't know what it is, don't touch it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So were you were you a whiskey drinker before they got into uh, whiskey? Definitely not. Oh, okay. I I had snuck too much of my dad's whiskey when I was a kid and it didn't go well. And he was drinking Johnny Walker Red. So I haven't touched that since. Yeah, Fair that's <laughs> that's that's gonna make lots of people's <laughs> nights not go too well. <laughs> well, kind of the funny story was once once we got, like 2000, uh, 2007, 2008, we actually put the money down for the still. So I went out and I bought all the little sample bottles you could find of, of vodka and gin and whiskey and that. And I remember calling Bob, Bob Baxter, the president, and I said, I'm going to be terrible at this because I can't drink this stuff. He goes, what are you drinking? I told him this, that, the other thing, all locally, you know, Canadian made. He goes, you're drinking the wrong stuff. Go get some scotch. Yeah. Well, now I understand. And I really understand Canadian whiskey really well because of uh, some of the other uh, broadcasts I've been on. And I under, and so I've been, I've got a really good education now. But there's a, there's a big difference between what uh, Two Brewers is doing and what a traditional Canadian whiskey is, though. Well, we don't use corn. We're a single malt. Yeah, exactly. We're an all malt, we're an all malt brewery. We're an all malt distillery. And I, the one thing that I love about two brewers is the is it, it's that brewer's mentality when it comes to creating whiskey. I think it adds some uh, it adds a creative nature into it and makes you kind of operate outside the box to create different different flavors and profiles, which is super exciting. Because every time a new release comes out from two brewers, I feel like it's all it's always so much different than the previous. Well, when you when you look at it. Uh Distilling whiskey is just an extension of brewing. Mm -hmm. You got you to make beer first before you can make whiskey, yeah. right? And so we had a number of years of learning how to make beer, and we, we, we got pretty good at that. So that's when the conversation came up, is what, what do we do next? There's only 35,000, 36,000 people in the Yukon. If we sold beer to everybody there, we're still not going to be – we can't get really big. That's where the whiskey came came in. Yeah. And we had all the equipment in place. All we had to do was go buy a still. Yeah, everything else would have been in place operationally. Mash tons there, yeah. fermentation tanks are there, malts all there. Everything's everything's in place, and the beer paid for it all. So maybe let's let's back up a little bit and go because um, the story. 
I know I've heard the story about how two brewers came to be and, and the owners and stuff like that. So maybe, maybe briefly kind of go over that. So Bob Baxter, Al Hansen. Bob's a mechanical engineer. Al's a chemical engineer. Al runs the distilling side of it. Bob's kind of the public face and uh, keeps me in line. They, Bob did a project for our company to build a brewery, so he did the mechanical work on it. That thing fell apart, but he still had all the work, and him and Al were out on a canoe trip and sitting around the fire. I'm sure a few a few drinks were, were had, and they said, hey, why don't we start a brewery? Because they were friends, and sometime later, Al called and said, are you, are you serious? And it kind of went from there. Just sitting on a boat. Well, they were sitting around the fire. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully the fire wasn't I on knew the there boat. was, well, no, I'm oh, sorry. It wasn't I, on the boat, no. <laughs> I just remember hearing that it was like, oh, a canoe trip, but they weren't on the canoe when they, okay. Well, you no, could, you could light was, a fire on a canoe as long as you just kept it. Maybe one of those propane fires. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and aluminum canoe, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's, not, yeah. I, I think yeah, so they should change their story to that. <laughs> there's nothing, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that theory. So, Dave, I have a question. Um, sure. Whenever I'm talking to people about two brewers and trying to get them to try it, if they can find it, they always come up with the question, why limited releases? Is there ever going to be a core range? And I say, as far as I know, there isn't, but I'm not the guy to talk to. You might be the guy to talk to. So, um, like you have the, the different labels, the innovative special finishes, the classics. Um, is there ever going to be a repeat release or is it always just going to be a small batch release one after the other uh, for now uh, all we can do is small batches we only make basically we make five five batches of whiskey a year eight eight seven to eight barrels in a batch so we're doing about 40 barrels a year so we have to fit the whiskey into the brewery schedule so that's basically from april till September, there's no distilling because we're running full out with the, with the brewing. When the still was bought, when this whole project started, the theory was, well, we've got a lot of time because we're still small. You know, mm-hmm. Go back to 2007. We're still small. We still have all these opportunities to distill. Because we're not making beer every day, so let's let's do something else. And I think that was uh, trying to utilize the brewery, like the, the production facility, as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, then you know, fast forward a few years, two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, and all of a sudden, beer got real, uh, craft beer got real popular, and that really limited us to when we could uh, distill. So, so we're kind of fall, or late fall, early winter distilling. So would they? Obviously, in order to increase production of or maintain enough production to have core releases, they would probably have to purchase another still and start a separate whiskey operation. Yeah, there would have to be a split somewhere. Right now, we're running a 400 liter still. Yeah, so so you're going to have to either increase the size of that still. Yes. Or or more stills, obviously. So what happens is, and of course, this this goes back to be uh, to Bob and Al. That's why I'm in sales because these guys are really smart and I'm pretty good at putting the deals together. We took our brew house, which is 2,500 liters, and we turned that into a stripping still. Okay. So we make 10,000 liters of wash. So basically four batches. Mm-hmm. And then we can, we can strip uh, 2,500 at a time. And then from there, the next one, it goes over to the finishing still. And we do the, you know, that's the 400 liters still. So that basically speeds up by a factor of six for the strip on the stripping side. Okay. But yeah, it comes down to volume and how much time we have. We don't have a lot of time. What kind of, what kind of, um, like what kind of inventory do they have of of whiskey? Like, is it a, is it a pretty large warehouse? Like how many barrels do you think they've got in there? We've got uh, somewhere in the 400 range, 400 barrels. Okay. So pretty, pretty small in comparison to yep. <laughs> these larger distilleries. That's for sure. So it's, and well, how many barrels per release usually two or three, four? It depends. We've gone from, um, 
Well, I'm gonna. Uh, I've got a. I've got a project on the go right now where we're gonna do probably 160 bottles, all the way up to 1,700 bottles. Yeah, we're looking at three bottles we have right in front of us. Well, 1170, 1170 is 23. Yeah. Yeah. 14 was 1460. And that one's small. And this, yeah, this 22 is only 820. So. Yeah. So if you look at that number on there, because of the innovative whiskeys, we, we tend to have smaller batches because it's, it's going to be something really different. Well, that's, so yeah, we, it's all experimental kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. And that's, that gives us a opportunity to have some fun and try some different things. And, uh, so far we've been, we've done well. Everything's, I believe everything's worked. Um, we could, uh, this, that was a good segue because why don't we, why don't we dive a little bit into this, not into the innovative, um, lineup. More right. specifically, this, this 14 release is, yeah. It's it's one of the most unique whiskeys you've definitely released. And there's not, mainly because of the fact that there's just not a lot of chocolate malted whiskeys out yeah. there on the market. So side story, the first time I ever tried this was almost exactly a year ago. And we were at the uh, Wine and Beyond tasting, or the festival. Yeah, yeah. And last you know, November, you guys had talked to me about this and you said, have you tried the Glen Morangi signet? And I said, yeah. And I said, well, two brewers has one using the same style of barley. And I was like, what? And then you even called the two brewers, the poor man's signet. Yeah, it's, it is. It's part of, if, if you can't, if you don't want to spend 200 plus on, on yeah. signet, you get, you get the identical profile out of this. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. So I went out and I found the 14 right away. And it's funny because David done a private tasting with the club, but it was before it just was before that, just before I, I started. <laughs> and so I missed it. And then all I heard from you and Graham and the other guys is, you know, tasting with Dave was amazing. He's so, so, you know, intuitive and talks, you know, you talk your ear off about the stuff. He's passionate. And then I finally met him at wine and beyond said, Hey, Dave. That bar mat on the table. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> yeah. He said, Oh, you know what? I'll, I'll take it to the store in Spruce Grove. It'll be there waiting for you. And I was like, Oh, that's amazing. So right away, first impression, I was like, this guy's awesome. Oh, he's then awesome. the literally the next day I run into Dave at the airport and he's, oh, you know, yeah. handing out samples at the, at the off license in the airport. So I stood there for the hour and a half that I had to wait for my flight up to work. <laughs> Just, I, I had one. Or six samples that Dave poured for me. <laughs> are you are you still doing that in the airport? If I if I let you know the next time I'm flying, will you head out there for me? Well, <laughs> I I would love to do another tasting. That industry shut down because yeah, of COVID. yeah. Well, I, I went from basically doing thirty plus weekends a year tastings, you know, charity events, that kind of stuff, going to zero. Yeah, I know it's it it's a sad if it, realization. If it, if it wasn't for my uh, Saturday night uh, whiskey event that we do online, man, my life would be hell. <laughs> like, for sure, that's why we're doing this, Dave. <laughs> Gives yeah, us a reason to well, day drink some whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this this is this is the way of the future. Yeah, like, I really virtual. I really enjoy being able to sit at home and participate in a tasting. Well, especially because, like, for me, like, Park Whiskey Society, the park comes from Sherwood Park. So most of the people are Sherwood Park or East Edmonton. And I live out in Spruce Grove. So for me to go to a tasting <laughs> in Sherwood Park, you know, it's logistically I have to set up a ride there, set up a ride home. You or should else. probably move to Sherwood Park. No, not going to happen. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know, like, and I, I'm lucky enough that I have people that will drive me to and from. Not everybody does. And not everybody does. And I've yeah. even offered, you know my ride home I'll if anybody wants to jump in they can but yeah I mean with COVID it's the virtual tastings when it first started happening when COVID first kind of came into play I was a little weary about it I'm like well you know it's it's gonna feel impersonal but it doesn't it you know we're sitting here and yeah you're looking at a screen but it's as if we're sitting next to each other chatting about whiskey and especially like the the big brands over in scotland ireland and in the states you could see who right away took to it and some that yep. were hesitant to it and you know with with you going on the various different uh, virtual things that we have 
it's awesome because you keep the the name out there and you know people more and more are asking me about two rurus if i've had it you know when the new release is coming out and i mean every store you go to now seems to have the whiskey stores anyways seems to have bottles on the shelf and you know you go in the next time and they they're out of certain releases and i'm I'm happy to see it because like i threw my support behind two brewers right from the start oh me too for sure it sounds like we need to do a virtual club tasting for the club dave yeah and i'd like to do the the beer whiskey pairing and we could even we could even mail out we could even mail out beers to drop beers off for people too and stuff like that that might be cool uh yeah (laughs) talk offline about that oh for sure yeah I'm, I'm, I'm working on something at the brewery. I, I'm trying to get them to package up 50 mil sample bottles for me. Well, okay. And I want them to do videos so that you could grab a sample bottle from your local store, go home, sit down and, and enjoy them at your leisure, uh, online and have them explain to you. That's a pretty cool idea. Well, don't tell everybody that, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just did. <laughs> I'm just so well, obviously a work in progress. So, okay, let's get, well, we got off track. Well, yeah, okay. exactly. We're off track. Let's get back to this 14. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about how, how they did create this and the, the chocolate malting process and stuff like that? So got to go back and, and got to remember we're a brewery. Yes. So we've got all kinds of different malts, laying, uh, malted barley laying around the brewery. From pale malt to black malt. And, uh, this is just one of those experiments. Like, it's been fun to, to, cause I'm a beer guy. So I have to relate everything back to beer. And I go back to like number 11 and even number eight. Number eight, we use, we put, uh, glacier hops in the wash. Yeah. Which nobody else has done. Number 11, we did about 42% Munich malt, which I really like 11. And then 14, they used, uh, um, pale malt as the base. And then it was, uh, chocolate malt and black malt. So what's black malt? Exactly what it says. Okay. If I knew this question was come up, it would have some on my table, but I have to put my, <laughs> take my headphones off. It's, it's the darkest malt you can get. So it's just roasted to the point of. Yeah. No. So if you can, th- if you can think about pale malt being the palest malt we get, basically. Yeah. And. Black malt is black, and every time you roast it or you roast it for longer and you do different things to it, the price goes up. So that's why in the beer world, the national brands don't use all these highly roasted malts because they cost so much more. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and it's just the way I see things that the big producers of whiskey, whether either Canada or, or the Americans or, or over in Scotland, they're not going to use a whole bunch of high-end malt, uh, darker malt because they cost so much more. Yeah, because of, yeah, for sure. Yeah, high volume, high volume, high volume whiskey is usually a, a price-sensitive whiskey. Mm-hmm. That's why so much corn is used. No, that, that makes like, sense. It's like beer. I mean, national brand beer is forty-five percent corn syrup. Really? And it gives you, it gives you alcohol. Yeah. But you really don't get any flavor out of it. Interesting. And we're. All of us small brewers, all of us craft brewers, we're so small that we can't use corn syrup because you've got to, it turns into an industrial factory. Okay. Those beers are extremely well made for what they are. Mm-hmm. So the cho- the chocolate malt is obviously the malt that they use typically in the darker beers, being the ambers and the uh, porters and stuff like that, just so yeah. people can kind of connect the dot. For sure, you're going to be able to get that into your uh, into your stouts and your porters. Uh, you're probably getting some, well, you are getting dark into dark lagers. Mm-hmm. You don't need a lot of dark malt to turn your beer dark. So and just like the ever, percentage of it is pretty low for like it's, a, it's really for an amber really or a dark lager kind of thing. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and if you've ever eaten raw malt, like I like the crystal malts, the Munich malts, cause they're a little sweeter. But when you get into the black malt, it tastes like coffee grounds. Yeah, we we actually bought a tiny bit of uh, chocolate malt uh, <clears throat> and a couple other different malts from the uh, what Red Shed is that what they call it in um, yeah. yeah in Red Deer. 
Sure. And it's, it, yeah, it's very interesting when you, t- when you kind of taste the different roasted levels of, of the malt. It is, it's like, it's like munching on a coffee bean. And <laughs> <laughs> when you get to the dark ones. <clears throat> I had a lady come into my booth one time and I said, don't eat the hops, but you can try a malt if you want. And she went right for the black malt. And <laughs> I looked at her face. I just put my hand out. And she spit it all in my hand. <laughs> said, that's, that's not the malt I would start with. Like something my daughter does when I feed her a new vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> but I use, I use the raw malts that I have laying around the house to figure out what's in a beer. So I'll, I'll snack on something that, oh, okay, I get it. It's this, it's that, it's something else. So, yeah, that one has a low percentage of black, uh, kind of an okay percentage of, of, of chocolate, and then a lot of pale malt. And the cool thing was that it took about three years before those flavors actually started to show themselves in the barrels once they were filled. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Um, did you just use ex-bourbon for the, for the 14? Well... I used to, okay, so everything, when I say everything, it's something may may not be 100% all the time. Everything basically goes into new bourbon barrels for a period of time. Could be a short period, could be a long period. And then it goes into uh, ex-bourbon for an extended period of time. And then if we're doing something special, like the special finishes, it'll go into port, sherry, uh, you name it, kind of barrels. Interesting. So, and the problem, one of the problems is that getting new barrels, getting used barrels is getting harder and harder to do because everybody's buying them. Beer guys are buying them. Everybody's buying them. Well, so yeah, um, so, and the price probably go, goes up accordingly. Supply well, and demand. We, so. uh, 2009, when we bought our first barrels, I think they were $80 American. And it costs more to ship them up than it costs to buy the barrels. Now those things are 150, 160. Shipping's gone up and they're harder to get. A new barrel's about 250. Jeez. You know, we, we get to order what we want. When you're buying used barrels, it's kind of a pig and a poke. Whatever you can get. Well, it's, it's, we bought some rum barrels uh, a couple of years ago. When they got into the brewery, they were, they were crap. We ended up, they ended up going into somebody's fire. Really? Because we didn't know the broker. We didn't know the guy. We've got a pretty good guy in Spain that uh, does our sherry barrels. Okay. Yeah, we've known him. We trust him. He does that for us. We've got uh, a really good guy, in, uh, a couple of good guys in the States. We've what? been bringing in those peerless uh, rye barrels. Yeah, I was going to ask if there was a distillery that you down in the, in the U.S., that you typically went to for your barrels or, or got from for your barrels? It's usually through a barrel broker. Yeah. So it's whatever they have available and then you pick yeah. out kind of thing. But th- at least you have a good relationship with that barrel broker. So, you know, the quality is going to be there. And Well, that's, that's the key is, is yeah. you know, dealing with somebody you trust. For sure. We, so, yeah, I bought my barrel from, the back of some guy's truck in the West end of Edmonton. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's my barrel broker. <laughs> I don't even know his name. Was he selling VCRs at the same time? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. And I just got my VCR stolen not too long. <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> but it's the, obviously that we, it, we inspected it and stuff like that. And it, it ended up being better quality than we figured it would be. But I could see the importance in making sure that you've got the right broker because there's a lot. When I was just even looking around for options to buy one barrel, there, there's a lot of pretty skeptical <laughs> places to go and pretty shady places that you can get some barrels. That's for sure. Well, it's it's like every market. Once everybody's excited and want to buy barrels, everybody you know, any guy with a they can get his hand on a barrel jumps in and starts selling it to them to unsuspecting people. So we're lucky we started when we did, when things were like inventory was easy to buy. Yeah. And so we kind of learned along the way. He could be a new guy trying to buy up and you know, supplies tight and all this kind of stuff. So, so yeah, we just seem to be, we've been lucky in beer being ahead of the curve a little bit and been, been really lucky in the whiskey. Yeah, I'd say it's going pretty good so far. So we're kind of wow. right now, just so you can kind of see what we're doing. 
We've got the signet. Okay. We got the signet board. I wish we would have. I wish we would have set you up with a sample, but we've got that signet port or uh, right beside the fourteen. So, and I, I didn't like know to, there's going to be a test. So uh, I, yeah, I, I wasn't paying attention. No, that's all good. I I just like the and the point I kind of wanted to make was that if if you can get that fourteen anywhere, which I'm sure it's still on the shelf somewhere, no. Anywhere, maybe I'll have to send. Maybe I'll have to send people samples. But it was truly, and what like when it first came out last year, it's it's a poor man's signet, and it's honestly, it's even a little bit more drinkable. Yeah, than the signet. The signet's got a little bit spice to it that the that the two brewers doesn't. It's so and, but the two brewers has a little bit more coffee note to it, though I yeah. find than the the, the Glamorangi is more more to the chocolate side. When this is kind of more of like a mocha, coffee kind of profile. So when you look at the at the malt when it goes into beer, uh, coffee flavors are going to come from the black malt, and and the chocolate's going to come from the chocolate malt, obviously. But I always the way I the way I see it is that I get chocolate up front, mm-hmm. and I get the coffee on the finish. Yeah, and it's but that coffee on the finish is dominating. Like it is, it, like it, it coats your mouth. You can taste the coffee for, I bet you I could walk yeah. around the house three or four times. I'd still have it <laughs> in the back of my throat. The finish is super long. Yeah. On this 14. Like when I, when I got my 14, I got the, uh, was it the 18 was the cast strength? 18 is the cast. Yeah. yeah One so of I, the two casts we've done. So I bought the 14 and the 18 at the same time. And. If you asked me on a Thursday, I'd say the 14 was my favorite, and then the Friday, the 18, and I literally go back and <laughs> forth between the two of them all the time. They're, they're both very, very good ones. So you got the 18 right yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, that's. I got a whole bunch of stuff behind me. It's so outstanding. I um, kind of figured I'd get asked some questions, so I was a little bit prepared. Well, it's, <laughs> it's funny because I, I gave, I've started giving out, instead of just sending people samples and labeling them, I've made a game of it, and I kind of stole it from Aquavite <laughs> in Scotland. But uh, so you gave to the Dram Fine. Yeah, girls. I did to yeah. the Dram Fine. That's but cool. um, you know, I'll I'll give them samples, and the first part I say, you know, rate them in order, least favorite to most favorite, and then the second part is I'll give them clues. I'll say, okay, find the Irish, find the cast strength, and uh, it's just fun. And you know, I've done it with the cast strength two brewers eighteen, and uh, people always rank it in the top two or three and i usually send out six or seven and when they find out it's canadian they're shocked and then when i when they find out that it's cast strength tuber or single malt and then you know it's it's that younger age like everything surprises them and i just say go find two brewers on the shelf and buy you won't regret it and i've never regretted a single one and dave's been kind to me you know new bottle will come out and he knows my schedule i'm gone half the time so (laughs) You know, he'll, on top of that, supporting a local company, he'll give it to his neighbor who owns a liquor store out near me. And I'll just go in and I'll go works in. Works at a liquor store, yeah. Yeah, it works, yeah. And, you know, I'll go in and I'll pay the price and they're holding it for me. But I've been able to get, you know, that's how I got the 23 and the 22. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've searched and they're not on the shelves anywhere I go, so... It's, yeah, they're, uh, they're, it's, it's but they're great. all limited releases. So yeah, they're not, they're never ever really an easy find. Uh, what's the, um, what is the typical age range of your guys' releases? The whiskey? Well, that's, that's, boy, how long do you have on the show here? So <laughs> Another, we've been really lucky that we don't have minutes. to put anything out until we think it's ready. Yeah, for sure. But just for example, you've got 23 there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Oh, I think it's fifty nine percent of it is eight years old. Okay. And well, hang on a second. I hate to look away, but I'm going to do it. No, that's all good. Thirty uh, percent is six years old, and eleven percent is eleven years. Okay. So in yeah, between and what I kind of figured was kind of between the seven and the and twelve years kind of thing. Because you, well, as we're getting older, you're seeing more and more more mature malt making yeah. the bottle kind of thing. Uh, but we're trying not to give all the old stuff away, you know, in the early years. So we're we're working on we're working on keeping some inventory, and yeah. 
I'm glad I don't have to do that. Do they ever have plans to release an age stated release, like a 12 year when they've got um, not, well, not, not like a core range or anything like that, yeah. but something age stated. Well, the only age statement I can give you, uh, number, number 18, the cask was a hundred percent seven year old. Okay. Okay. So, well, it's, it's funny. I don't know if, if you guys ever get to talk to Al. Al doesn't like talking to groups. So <laughs> he's great to sit down with for a beer, three, four guys. Uh, he goes, well, why would you take a cask when I can make such a better, when I can, for sure. Get a couple of this and some of that, and I can make you a really good whiskey. I go, no, no, everybody wants cat. He always says to me, but why? I don't like, like, <laughs> like Al's in the Yukon and they keep him in the back of the brewery. So we don't, he doesn't get out much. <laughs> yeah. People love single cast though. They just love the, the, they love trying to capture something unique and different than anything else that they can go on the market. Right. That's kind of well, the idea behind it. But. When I talked to the brewery, I was talking about, yeah, everybody wants this unicorn whiskey. Yeah, everyone's looking for it. And so I've got a couple of uh, casks I'm working with, a couple of groups right now. I'm doing 100 and 162 bottles for one group and roughly 300 for another group. That's going to be a conversation we're going to have soon, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm just waiting for, I got three samples coming down, two sherry finishes and one peated. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. We, we may, we may know people in one of those groups. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we may have seen some of the, some of the lists. So it's, Oh, did you get that? Okay. Well, yeah, we didn't get it. We just, we just talked to, talked to Travis about it a little bit because he, he yeah. kind of wanted to get some opinions and stuff, but he, he's obviously waiting for the samples to come to him. I like the idea so of having a quicker process because we got a single cast from Scotland that was paid for in July yeah. and it's still haven't, still haven't it. received it yet. So. I like I like uh, I do like the idea of supporting local in local in this in this economy right now and support and honestly I consider two brewers being as local as like they're like the distilleries in Edmonton in my eyes honestly so we're that odd cousin that just lives down the street kind yeah. of <laughs> exactly <laughs> just just a little up north <laughs> yeah so Dave well, I gotta ask we're well, up we're up to twenty three you said uh, I know in our private conversations that we've had that 24 more than likely is a super small batch kind of going to stay up in the Yukon. Maybe a few uh, bottles. Out. I'm probably, I'm probably going to get five cases of it. Okay. Now so, tw- 25 being a, a, you know, one of those benchmark numbers yeah. are, are the, you guys planning on doing anything special for the release 25? You know, I haven't heard anything and the guys really, I think you know, Bob and Al are same age as I, I am. And every time another year comes around, we think, oh, God, we're just getting older. We'd rather not talk about it sometimes. So, so it's, it's a great day. marketing idea, but I don't know if, if, if the powers that be at the brewery really are all that hyped up about it. Is there a succession plan beyond uh, those guys? Is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I figured is. as much. I'm sure they've, they're teaching their ways to either, is it, is it sons or is it, uh, Son, yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, let's yeah, yeah. Let's back up a little bit and go back to this twenty three because I have never I haven't tried it yet. Neither have um, I. Cause I just well, yeah, it's sorry. just sitting in the glass. I may have had a sample from a secret oh, yeah, whiskey yeah. fairy named Dave. Um, <laughs> so this this would this is the newest release to hit the shelves here or in Alberta and yeah. BC yeah. too. Uh, you know, I don't pay a lot of attention to BC, but they probably got some. They don't get a lot. Yeah. Oh no, they did. Uh, sorry, I got to back that up. Uh, the reason twenty three is out so early is because the BC government put it in their Christmas catalog. Oh, so you kind of had to rush production a bit. Well, like it bottling had to be in their yeah, it had to be in their warehouse in the middle of October. Oh, okay, okay. So was that so, part of the spirits release that just happened this past weekend? Uh, I've got the catalog in my computer, and there's. There's like twenty five thousand dollar bottles of single malt in there, and then there's us. So it's, yeah, I'm, it's pr- I'm pretty sure that's stuff. the. Yeah, they just did a massive spirits release. All we've been seeing online is people and their new bottles, and they're even getting some stuff that we don't get in Alberta, which is pretty rare because Alberta usually gets everything and more when it comes to Canada releases, Canadian releases. But um, 
I'm curious. I'm, I'm going to reach out to some people in BC and see if they've tried it because I'm curious to see what they think. Um, well, I just got I just got a bottle of a Seven Rebels. Yeah, that I was that it. was a BC exclusive release. Yeah, and I, I, everybody, you know, all the guys I know are all up in arms. Why it didn't come to Alberta? I said, well, got to remember when the BC government says we'll take X number of thousand cases, buying power, they pay for, they pay for it up front. Yeah. When the distillery sends it here, it sits in the warehouse. It's consignment. It paid for it till it gets yeah. Yeah, I know so it's, and that is the challenging. Models. That is the challenging part of having a privatized liquor system here. Uh, is the and it, same thing with when it comes to limited releases from from companies like Distel and that yeah. and and that kind of thing is when LCBO says we'll buy it all now in Ontario, then they just get it all now. But <laughs> Alberta doesn't get even a chance. Well, to, to raise the their hand thing. in that situation because yeah. the money exchange happens as soon as the liquor shipped. But. Well, and and I don't know if this is true or not, but it's it's the the rumor I like to spread around is that uh, LCBO liquor, the Ontario Liquor Board mm-hmm. says, if we don't get first crack at it, you can't sell it in Canada. <laughs> <You know? laughs> if we sure. if we pass on it, then yeah, go ahead, sell it to Alberta. Yeah, yeah, basically, sell it to whoever. If we don't want it. Uh, the problem there is you've got somebody in an office somewhere deciding who's going to win and who's going to lose. Yeah. In Alberta, the, the sales guys have to get out there and, and, for and sure. do the work. Well, the thing I don't like, though, is that it's it's driven, and yes, it's a business, so I do understand, but it's it's more driven from a standpoint of revenue than it is from a standpoint of satisfying their drinkers. When you've got a, more, when you've got a privatized system like here in alberta the selection is is drinker based and yes right which which i like that better <laughs> so uh i'm not complaining whatsoever um do you do you want to kind of want to go over what what this uh 23 consists of because you got <laughs> it's one of those malts with both sherry and port and so how, how technical do you want uh, or how get get right into it i want to know like I, how many how many times of this spirit change barrels barrel to barrel and stuff like that it's i know it's so pretty intricate the easy way to remember this is and this is how i remember because they keep it simple for me because i'm sales <laughs> yeah like like as soon as l starts talking and giving me all the technical stuff i always say hold it i'm not writing any of this down because i'm not going to be able to remember it uh, we need certain details we don't need like the actual molecular structure of anything so so this is a 60-40 uh, uh, bottle. Let's call it that. So, so 60. 60-40 bottle. Okay. So if you think of it that way, 40% of it was aged in sherry barrels. Okay. With a, with a basic hail malt uh, wash. Mm-hmm. 60% of that was done in port barrels. And I think it's about 25% of that 60% Anybody got the numbers? No. I was actually <laughs> yeah, going to do like, the numbers. But I, I, I think I we're ready. well over 100% right now. <laughs> <laughs> so 25% of 60 would be 15% of the liquid uh, was uh, lightly peated. Okay. Well, lightly peated, to, did so, they give you a parts per million? I know you're just a sales guy. but So uh, everything we do is Baird's malt out of, out of Aberdeen. Okay. And we buy their highly peated, which is a 25 to 50 ppm parts per million. Okay, so it's, which it's pretty heavily peated. Find, then. But I find that to be such a wide gap. When you look at their lightly peated, yeah. it might be uh, 10 to 12 percent or 10 to 15 percent. Okay, when okay. you get to the higher one, so that obviously causes some confusion in my head because I like to get a little more finite, a little closer. Mm-hmm. But they can't. They can't give us a. That's a range that we get. So we make every year we make 100% peat, okay. and then that 100% peat is used in. It gets split up batches. between the different batches. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So this bottle's got about 15% of 100% peat. Okay. In on the liquid side of it. It's the like the peat level of this whiskey is. Is perfect, and I'm I'm honestly going to be I'm going to be recommending it to people trying to get into peat whiskey, peat oh, whiskey, because yeah. it's just it's it's 
subtle enough that it doesn't dominate the whiskey and it's present enough that it still gives you the impression of a peated whiskey, which I like, right? It still gives you the, the yeah. right? It's still, it's a, it's a great introduction. Yeah. When I first, when I first started like, I getting into yeah. peated whiskey, I went for those lightly peated whiskeys. Yeah. This is perfect. And yeah. this would have been exactly where I wanted, especially because it does have that sherry and port fruit influence. Um, you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get a little bit of that peat to get you used to it. And then on top of that, you get the fruit flavors. <clears throat> so there's definitely some, there's going to be a little bit of, is there a little bit of dark malt somewhere sprinkled in this? Cause well, I, I do get I, a bit, of, I, I do get a bit of maltiness. Now I got to look sure. away. <laughs> All good. Uh, it's audio. So you could be, you could be wearing no oh, clothes in front of us. Oh, well, I got a shirt on. <laughs> that's good to know yeah. <laughs> we can see you so we do know you have a shirt on <laughs> well i wasn't sure so i was trying to be i was trying to be polite today oh don't don't be polite on on our account dave be. yeah in my in my little cheat sheet here it doesn't say anything about uh uh some of the unique malt we use so okay. i would i would gather there's the probably peated. some in there though no somewhere along the line <laughs> uh, usually, it's, usually it says but it doesn't say yeah. that right now and next time, next time you see me, I'll show you this cheat sheet that I have. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and you can take a look at it because I, I told Al I need to know this stuff because I can't sell it just saying, yeah, it's a good whiskey. Well, what's in it? Uh, it's a good whiskey. I can't do that. Well, and it's like the the thing about the thing about two brewers is that it's it it's the whiskey enthusiasts, yeah, that are attracted to it because they they love the the level of creativity and that goes into making it and the different profiles and stuff like that. So you are going to get those kind of questions because they're experienced whiskey drinkers that really, really obviously want to know and dive into the contents of the whiskey. It's not the guy that comes up to you at the show and says, Hey, it's uh, I can really get the 40% scotch. And then I get like the 60% whiskey on top of that. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or, uh, don't you have any mix back there? Do you have some Coke or some, some ginger ale or something? Uh, you know? No, no, I don't. There's actually. a giant jug of water. Right I got I got more whiskey that we could mix with it. <laughs> that's about but it. You, you said something about uh, being well-balanced, and that's something we've always strived for, and it started with our beers. We want to be uh, complex but very drinkable. So who's the, who's the be-all, end-all when it comes to deciding the whiskey's ready? Bottle it. Al. It is Al. Al okay. Al, hundred yeah. percent. Okay. Was that was Al, Al the bad man? Was he's he, so he's yeah okay. He's the blender too. He's the one blending them. He's the he's he's, he's the, the mad doing, he's the mad scientist yeah. behind most of the whiskey. Okay. He is. It's truly a yeah. mad scientist whiskey. Like I just love the creativity that goes into this stuff. Yeah, it's, well, it's like, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, when you see, especially like we were saying, like those those sheets for those samples, like. Oh, it's crazy. The navigating through, especially the first, the top one on the list where it's like, oh, yeah. this went into this barrel and then part of this went into this barrel and then part of this went into this port barrel. And then it's like, it's crazy. Well, so, and that's the, the fun thing at our place is that beer runs the beer runs the whole show. And so Al gets to play around. Like it's, it's, it's fun for him. It's yeah. It'd be a blast. I'd love to go up there. I'd really like to go up there and visit a distillery one day and, and actually experience, maybe experience what, uh, what exactly his process is and going through. I'm sure he doesn't have a process. I'm sure he's just winging it as he goes, but, um, it sounds like a blast. Maybe episode, I would love to go up there and actually pick episode if, 125. We'll go up and we'll <laughs> yeah, do it live yeah, from UConn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, or even would like if Park Whiskey Society decided to buy a cask or a portion or, or something like that, could it, could we go up there and pick the cast right from the distillery? I'm going to say yes because I'm in sales. So yeah, yeah, do whatever you want, right? <laughs> Dave will make it happen. <laughs> well, you know, I got into this special bottling because I got so tired of listening to guys that didn't have whiskey selling stuff, hmm. taking people's money, and yeah, it's like yeah. Give me some money today and I'll give you something somewhere down the road. I thought, this is crazy. I've got whiskey. Yeah. Let's when, sell it. When, Let's bottle when, it. When Let's tra- pick it. Let's when Travis it. says, this is what I'm looking for, I called I called Al. He says, okay, I'll send you three samples. So it went in the mail yesterday. 
I talked to Travis last week about it. Yeah, and I've been, <clears throat> I've been talking with Graham and Dave from Whiskey Drop. Yeah. About possibly doing a collaboration cast with them. Um, so they could have kind of exclusive rights to selling sure. it, selling it retail. And then I can obviously sell to the club, similar to what we're doing with the, the cast we got from Scotland. But well, I'm doing, I'm doing that same thing with another club through a, a, a whiskey store in Calgary. Oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. No, it's that this, a single cast program, I think is very important in this whiskey climate because of the fact, like you said, guys are always looking for that unicorn malt and. Yeah. Yeah, if you can create something unique, people people go crazy for it. They love the the single cast. They love the independent bottlings. Well, I mean, just this twenty three alone, like the finish on it. And the cool thing about all these is that they're pretty much single cast. Yeah, like they're small, extremely small batches, limited and one of a kind. Yeah, exactly. Uh, characteristics and stuff. No, it's pretty cool. Well, one of my favorite things to do at a show because I'm always trying to screw things up. <laughs> is the guy goes, Oh yeah, this is a small, a small batch release. I go, well, how's, I always say, how small is the batch? And they go, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like I love putting sales guys on the spot. Yeah. Cause small, small well, batch a, from a small batch, like a Glenn Kentucky Fittick. small batch or a Glenfiddich small batch <laughs> is like <laughs> a thousand barrels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> We're not talking a handful of barrels at the most. That's yeah. for sure. Well, I don't know. Did you, I got, we did that wild Turkey thing. Uh, a few weeks ago and that single barrel thing i got i questioned the wild turkey guy and he goes no no we dump the barrel we fill the bottles we take the next barrel dump it fill the bottles so those things are they're true single, single barrel yeah they're true single yeah. barrels and, and a lot like a lot of those distilleries down there they're single barrel like their core range single barrels are actually and that's why you'll get you'll get a variation from bottle to bottle even like when i've got a couple that yeah. are like that and they are yeah they're different they're they're distinctly different, which is, I, I think that is pretty cool because it makes you want to buy more bottles. <laughs> so well, that was one. the fun thing because a bunch of the guys on the show that night, once we learned how to read the code, oh, that came from Warehouse K, that came from Warehouse J. So they're, they're yeah. Struggling. Well, even so, yeah, with Cavalan, with Cavalan, we do that all the time. You said that you guys use an exclusive uh, supplier for your sherry casks out of Spain. Is it typically just Oloroso? I know you have done like uh, it's, it's PX. It's Pedro all, Menace. always PX. Okay. And I always, of course, me being a beer guy, I thought Pedro Menace was some Mexican guy. <laughs> <laughs> Pedro. <laughs> I had no clue what was going on. Yeah, just so, one one guy named Pedro in Mexico yeah. <laughs> making barrels. <laughs> I got an education on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you did. Honestly, I would have thought that that Al would have gone for Oloroso because Oloroso, you would think the, like that, like Rancio characteristic would go better with a beer malt than this, than the sorry, sorry, the deeper fruits of the Oloroso would go better well, than the sweeter fruits of the Pedro. And I know like when we were, when Dave was talking, we were looking at each other drinking this 23 and you brought up the darker malt, if there was any in there. And I, I honestly thought maybe it was like the nuttiness from an Oloroso, but if it's PX, that was used for the sherry in this. Mm -hmm. It could be the port casking too that was bringing it out. Yeah, the port would for sure. I mean, when you're, the PX port. a little bit will have that a little bit of nuttiness, but it's way more sweet than it is. Yeah, the like you get the nuttiness from Oloroso a lot more than you would a PX. Yeah, and I tried Oloroso and it tastes a little more whiny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, oh, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I had a wine guy. I was doing a private chasing for a real estate group and. And he picked it out right away. Oh, these are Oloroso casts versus, uh, uh, these are, uh, PX versus Oloroso. And of course, I had no clue. I just knew what we bought and, and, and that kind of stuff. There's but, a fairly distinct difference between the two, though. Well, and, and the story that I don't tell very often was when it came to us buying the barrels, we got a list. Here's all the barrels you can buy PX, uh, Oloroso, this, that, the other thing. And, well, we had no clue, so we just bought the most expensive one. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, just buy yeah. the most expensive. Aim high. Well, <laughs> yeah. And we we always talk about well, if we're if we're trying to make a high end product, why would we buy the cheapest sherry barrel? Hey, makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. You know, and those barrels, and this goes the first time we brought barrels in, 
God. I, I can't remember how far back it was, but those went into number two, which was out in 2016. Those things were a thousand dollars Canadian before they landed in Vancouver. Holy smokes. Where, and then we were, you know, go back to that time and period, that period in time and paying $80 for our regular barrel. Yeah. Wow. Some of the, when I hear some of the bidding wars that go on over, over these more limited sherry barrels, like the Palo Cortado and the Manzanilla and stuff and Amontadilla. Yeah. It's crazy how much, how much distilleries pay for these casks. And that's obviously a, a large component of why the bottles are expensive as well. Yeah. But if you, but if well, you want call quality, then you got to pay for quality. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. That's the, that goes for and anything in this world. <laughs> Well, we look at it. We don't. We don't make a lot, so we're we're going to make sure we put the best we can into it. So, and pretty simple. So I guess here's a with getting into like the, so getting into the cost of of two brewers whiskey. You guys have pretty much maintained it at that hundred dollar mark retail. Right, it comes out pretty well, much similar, and it's been like that for it's been like that for three three years. So well, is it 2006, 2016 is when the first one came out and they always end up in the store between 95 to a hundred dollars Canadian. Yeah. Is that, is, are you guys making a point to kind of keep it that way? Cause you want to maintain the affordability of the whiskey or like when you get into yeah. using these, these sherry and port barrels a little more often, is that going to affect the price going forward? Because like I know that the cost naturally, the cost is going to get is going to increase to produce the whiskey. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And, and here I go back, I go back to the beer again. And I remember talking to the boys at the brewery saying, well, why is our Pilsner the same price as our, as our stout? And they said, yeah, we, we, we gain a little on this and we lose a little on this and it all works. So I tell people it's just because I'm so old that they, they give me one price and I can only remember one price. <laughs> that's, that's my story. But yeah, they've, they that makes blind sense. priced everything for forever. It's always been. It was funny. I had one of the other distillers said, uh, "We're pretty thankful for you guys coming into the market early like you did because you set the bar, mm-hmm. and now we can we can price our product up next year and still command that same dollar because we're telling the same story." Yeah, Speaking no, of bars good. being set, you set the bar pretty high for any future guests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, this is that we really, really appreciate you coming on with us, Dave. Honestly, we're we we respect you as an individual. We respect you as we we think that you're you're one of the most genuine people in this in this community. Honestly, in the liquor community, so it's yeah. I don't know. We really, really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to well, looking forward to having some future tastings and 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 stuff like that. Maybe buying a cask soon, that kind of thing. Well, hopefully, we can get together soon and even yeah. would share a beer and a dram and and uh do this in person honestly yeah no this is great this has been fun yeah no i appreciate it dave. yeah thank you so much all right. dave all right we're uh signing off uh anything you want to add before we go no and uh, obviously any of my pictures that i post on my green cabinet that everybody comments about you always see that yukon brewers matt that you know is from the old name <laughs> of the whiskey for sure, and I definitely recommend picking up and following two brewers because, like I said, you're getting an interesting expression yeah. with every single release. So they're all limited. They're they're going to be somewhat of a collector's item, I think, as as they grow. Yeah, as two brewers, uh, as their reputation grows within the whiskey community. Yeah, so. I've got a couple bottles that are bunkered away and probably won't be open for some time. Yeah, for sure. So do I. So well, I'm excited, excited it, for the next one and the next one. If you look at it, one through... One through 16 are gone, like we don't own any more of it. 20's gone. 20 was that maple barrel. Yeah. Jeez, that went fast. Yeah, I've got a little bit left of that one, but I didn't get a spare. But it's a it's a real dessert drinker, that one. I'm buy- if I see it in the store, I buy it back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I am hurt. I had to clean out a store in Calgary. I had the rep call me. He says, okay, this is what I'm looking at. I said, buy it all. <laughs> <laughs> buy it all. That's, yeah. They had, they had three bottles. They said, buy it all. 
That's a good way to send it off. If you see two brewers, buy it all. Buy it all. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot, Dave. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Cheers to you, sir. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks, guys.